आई एम सुमित गुप्ता एंड दिस इज चूजिंग लीडरशिप अ पॉडकास्ट फॉर हाई परफॉर्मर्स विद बिग ड्रीम्स एट वर्क एंड लाइफ दिस इज अ पॉडकास्ट फॉर पीपल हु नो डीप इन साइड दैट देयर इज मोर हैव यू अचीव्ड अ ग्रेट डील ऑफ सक्सेस बट ऑन द इनसाइड यू स्टिल फील एम्प्टी एंड लाइक एन इम्पोस्टर डू अदर पीपल सी यू एज अ स्ट्रॉन्ग लीडर एंड यू वंडर वाई इट स्टिल फील्स सो लोनली एंड सफोकेटिंग The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate. I dare to speak to the tremendous power which you already have rather than what you believe are your strengths and limitations. This podcast is called Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. And this is the leadership journey series. I am interviewing leaders with an interesting story to learn how they got where they are today. we all have a lot to learn from each other's stories of where we started where we are now and our successes and struggles on the way with this series of interviews my attempt is to give leaders an opportunity to share their stories and for all of us to learn from their generous sharing roy samuel is a serial entrepreneur and angel investor he is currently the ceo and founder of connected and was previously the ceo and founder of real sport He regularly invests in early stage tech companies and also mentors at the London School of Economics socially conscious spin out accelerator. He is also a mentor at the Founder Institute and he helps founders build a meaningful business. In our interview, Roy opens about his views on entrepreneurship, leadership and his relationship with money. We also talk about how our early experiences shape us in very subtle ways which we do not realize. and the importance of vulnerability transparency and caring for people we also discuss the paramount responsibility of an early stage startup leader to their team and investors and how is that very important hi roy welcome to the choosing leadership podcast thank you so much for having me on really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today wonderful it's a pleasure to to be here with you and to get to hear about your story so before before we start why don't you give our listeners a brief introduction of who you are what have you been up to lately and and any interesting tidbits from your story yeah absolutely i'll uh, i'll try and give you the the quick version essentially i i've been working in startups for about 10 11 years now i founded something in 2014 whilst studying in university which was essentially a content creation toolkit so helping people create podcasts videos other types of content and then a community to share everything with and we just got really fortunate with it at the right time right place just when social publishing was getting very popular um, we actually applied it to the worlds of sports and gaming massive sports fan myself and it was just when big brands started to pay attention to gaming in a big way so we just got really fortunate with the timing there managed to scale it to about 8 million monthly users primarily UK, US and Australia and then that business was acquired by a gaming company in 2018 called off the back of that was fortunate enough to start advising startups as a you know board advisor occasionally as a non-exec and also start angel investing as well which I love doing and it's always great to be able to support new founders new entrepreneurs coming through I started working my own fintech in 2019 which essentially provides tools for the early stage venture ecosystem and continue with my work as an advisor and investor too thank you for sharing that can you share what happened or what shaped you to be an entrepreneur 
Yeah, it's a really interesting question. My dad was always an entrepreneur with varying levels of success. I, I really think it's easy to see entrepreneurialism, to see leadership and think, oh, that looks great and looks really attractive when it doesn't all the time. And when it's not always a success, it can have real impacts. So we grew up with not a lot of money at different times. There were periods for years where we didn't have income and really difficult periods of time. And that leads to all sorts of impact on family life and home life and all those things. But he kept on working through and finally made his first bit of money when I was about 19 years old. Very much my experience growing up as a child, teenager, was one of whatever you get in your life, you're going to have to work for. There wasn't going to be any handouts. There wasn't going to be anything other than, you know, whatever you earn. So, so I think always had a, a bit of a drive to me. But for a long time, I didn't think I wanted to be an entrepreneur because I didn't think the journey we'd been on as a family was necessarily one which I'd want to put my family through, but it finds you in a way. And I think if you're someone who enjoys working a bit more in a bit of an unusual way, maybe, or a way where you want to really just go into what you're passionate about rather than you have to do, I think entrepreneurialism sometimes comes around. So it was definitely something I was aware of growing up came back and forth on the idea of it, but um, started off in entrepreneurialism quite early in, and then really started, founded my first business by the time I got to university. Yeah, this is very relevant for me as well, because um, I have seen my father do the same things, jump from uh, one job or one business to another business, and mostly with uh, like very different levels of success or, or failure, right? The way, we, the way we use these two words. But I think even as a bystander, even as a bystander to that, I learned a lot. I grew a lot, I think, in, in maturity, in um, talking with people. So I'm sure that the journey is uh, like it shapes you without you being aware of it at times. Yeah. And then if you consider what I am doing, like uh, setting up as a coach, this would be my fourth uh, uh, startup or uh, fourth really? so like uh, where I'm really stepping out on my own. Yeah. And, and I think my father maybe did maybe 10 or 12 that I can at least remember, if not more. Wow. Yeah. This is the thing, I think, when you're, I think if you grow up with quite an easy life, maybe sometimes you're a bit more sheltered. Sometimes, not always, but more sheltered from the harsh realities of what it means to make money and to not have money and all these things. But if you did have that experience growing up, I think you, you mature at a much quicker rate. So I think if you at eight years old, 10 years old, whatever it might be, start having to face those realities of what, what the real world is. I think it definitely means that when you come to 18, 19 years old, you're already a few years ahead in terms of having a bit of a bit more focus, maybe. Yes, I think that's very true. Yeah. And, and since you also mentioned about money while growing up, I, I want to ask how has that shaped your relationship like with money, with finances, with capital? And just to give you a context, I think um, money has always been a challenge for me. And I've grown uh, in my relationship with money, like uh, started with being very careful about money. And then I, as I became an entrepreneur, I see that was limiting me. So I expanded my view, but I still sometimes get the, those like moments of anxiety, especially mm -hmm. if uh, something which is monetary is at stake. So I wanted to like, ask you, how has that shaped you? It's really interesting. I think I've got a very strange relationship with money and it's and not been a good one for a long time. My, my dad always used to tell me, and it's funny, this is not necessarily a good lesson, but it's only money, right? In the sense of, because I think he had money come and money go so many times during his life. My money's one of those things that sometimes you'll have it, sometimes you won't have it. That was what I was, was told. So the idea of like building savings, the idea of building, trying to build wealth and all those things, 
it was not a concept taught or practiced in my household. It was this year we've got money, next year we might not. Who the hell knows? It'll be what it'll be. And I think that when I started earning money, because I, I started working really hard and trying to do all these things, it meant I didn't have necessarily a lot of those fundamentals about what it meant to save and how to be smart with your money. I really, you know, no one told me that. I really had to try and figure that out myself. And I think when I was maybe younger, I was probably a bit too relaxed with money. And I didn't, because it didn't matter because if I didn't have money, I was used to not having money. So if I have it, I spend it. So I don't think I was very good at that. Now, obviously, after my first exit, that was really because it was like, okay, now I've actually got something where I can change my life. And if I'm not careful now, then I could really, you know, so that was really the moment when it changed for me. But yeah, it took me a long time to get there. Till 26, I would say I had a really bad relationship with money in that sense. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what you do currently, which is basically investing into startups and putting your money in. And then how does that uh, give meaning, meaning to what, what you're doing? Yeah. yeah. So after we sold Real Sport, I knew immediately I wanted to, to start into investing. That was the goal. And I was really aware of the, of the issues that founders have when it comes to raising capital, connecting with the right people, getting access to the right networks. What I was fascinated by was when I started angel investing, actually how many barriers to entry there were as an angel investor. Because when you're the founder, you're living and breathing the business. You're going to get after it. You're going to make sure you're at the events. You're going to get into all the right, you're going to try and get into all the right places. But as an investor, you might be working on your own full-time projects. You're managing other opportunities. You're looking at doing other stuff. So actually getting access to a really good deal flow, getting access to all the right entrepreneurial communities, getting access to spin outs and accelerators, you know, it's basically a full-time job in and of itself. So we thought, okay, interesting. How many people want to be involved in that conversation, that investment conversation and can't get access to it because they don't have the time, they don't have the infrastructure. So we thought it was a really interesting idea. So I started to build an infrastructure for angel investors and family offices as well, potentially VCs in 2019 to help structure origination, to structure data when looking at angel investing. Just building it through 2019, we launched in February 2020, in March 2020, lockdown hit. So always a good time to, to bring something new to market. But we actually found we were quite fortunate with it because the tools we were building to make the angel investment and early stage ecosystem a bit more structured were really well positioned for, for the lockdown period. So we're now seeing investments ranging from really early stage at 25, 30K, SEIS sort of stuff. Biggest one we've seen so far was a 2.6 million investment into the Series A of a consumer AI and, and lots of transactions along the way. So I'm still regularly angel investing myself, but also doing it through the platform that we've built and seeing great deals that way. So it's a, a super interesting time in terms of early stage investments. Yeah. And what do you find most challenging about, about the angel investing and, and also about this new role? Because you have, in a way, started from scratch. So what is new? What is the most challenging part? I think the most challenging part is when you find deal flow in a space that you're not really familiar with, because if you, if you find a business that you think you really like, and you like the entrepreneurs and you like the founders involved, but you don't know the space very well, it can be quite difficult to know whether it's going to be a good investment or not. But I think it comes to trusting people. Fundamentally, uh, this is what I learned. The first angel investment, it was a big one for me. I know for some people it's not, but I invested 50,000 pounds. My first, that was the first angel investment I made after my exit. And it was in a, a mental health technology platform. And I really liked the space. I'm a big believer in ordering mental health. I wanted to invest into that space, but as it turns out, 
the business was fraught in many ways, but totally back the people, you'd have thought the founders were great. And as it happens, the founder of that business, she's now the COO of my FinTech. So that was a really great learning experience for me that you back people because you want to be involved with the right people and want to support the right people. And you know that you can build stuff with them. And even if it's as a portfolio company, if it's bringing them into the way that I've learned to deal with that issue of not necessarily knowing the space inherently is saying, do I trust the people? Do I believe in this person? Do I want to work with this person? Got to, got to make sure that you, you can go to bed at night feeling happy that you've given someone your money. And then I think that's a really nice way of dealing with it. So in this, in this new journey, tell us, is there anything new that you're discovering about yourself as a leader, as a person? It's yeah, absolutely. Because the business that we built last time was a very different one. Real sport, we got, we, we had about 60 people at the time that we sold it, but it was a really different type of business. And I think with connected, what I'm learning is you've really got to nurture all of your people to go on, on not just the journey for the company, but their own. And you really got to help those people achieve what they want to do. Because ultimately, unless you've got the right team to execute on things, and unless they're bought into a personal plan as well as a business plan, then it's just not going to work. People is everything, right? And you can have the bet. And with Real Sport, we were just very fortunate that the team that we had at the start was the team we had all the way throughout in terms of an executive team, but it connected because I think the ambition's big. We're trying to do is bigger, formally launching into Europe this year. It's going to be a much, much bigger organization. So making sure that you put an arm around everyone, give everyone their own personal plan. It's so important, but it's a difficult thing to do. Yes, indeed. Indeed it is. I think many leaders that I'm talking to these days, even if they understand the value of connecting with people and exactly what you shared, not just helping them in their journey in the company, but also in their personal journey, but they have this challenge that they have no time for it or their schedule is too booked and they have so many like pressing demands, either, either something going wrong or something more. How do you deal with that? And especially now, maybe you are, you are investing in and you're talking to tens of founders, hundreds of founders. How do you manage your time? How do you manage that pressure of a demand on your time? Yeah, it's so tough. It is really tough. Uh, I brought in a, an EA back in the last year, which has made the biggest difference. And I always um, avoided doing it because I thought it was actually, it could be seen as the ego thing. I was so against it. And I I basically had to, I sent a message to all my team, my, my core team in the last year saying, guys, look, I don't want this to come across as an ego thing. I don't think I'm, you know, a different position to anyone at all, but I actually start to think now my time is going to the point where if I don't make a change significantly, it's going to harm the business because I didn't, I was having less and less time to spend with the core team. So I think your job as a CEO in many ways is to protect your time to spend with your core team. So bringing in an EA has massively helped on that side and trying to limit the amount of time I spend on smaller tasks so they can really just be there for my team. Because once you brought your team, you've got to trust them, right? So it's your job to just be a bit of a safety net for those guys. So I think that's been a massive help, but yeah, you need to, you need to put the hours in, right? I don't buy into this idea of if you're a founder of a business, you can do a four day working week. I don't believe it's your responsibility. I think your responsibility is to your team and to your investors. If you've raised capital from angel investors, we're not talking about VCs where it's an institutional fund, for example, but if you've raised, if you've raised money from angel investors, these are real people who spend lots of their, their cold hard earned cash, which is their children's inheritance money 
on you. You owe it to them to be an absolute machine on that side. So you've got to, you've got to find time to so the 80 hour weeks, all the rest of them are a big believer in that, but still protect your time to focus upon on the most important stuff. Yes. Yes. I think there are two key things which you shared. One is about responsibility. And I always say responsibility is hundred percent and unconditional. So you can put in all the four, the 40 hour weeks or four day, four day work weeks, but at the same time, not at the expense of your responsibility. As long as responsibility is taken care of, you can, like, you get, you're totally free. It's, uh, it's your role as a founder to exercise your creative freedom and take care of your people, but not at the expense of your responsibility. And sometimes that means taking some tough decisions as well, either on your personal time or like even on the wider organization. Um, Absolutely. I completely agree with you that it's really interesting. And I think one of the big responsibilities is to the team. If I'm not helping push forward the organization so that everyone on my team could be on an amazing journey and build their own track record and all those things, I'm doing wrong by them. So it's a shared responsibility thing for sure. I'm very fortunate as well that my, my girlfriend understands the entrepreneurial journey. Her brother's an entrepreneur. She's seen it from a very early, early age, what it means to have that commitment. I think sometimes if, for example, if you're with someone who doesn't understand it, it can be very difficult. So I'm really fortunate on that side. Yeah. And the second thing which I wanted to highlight, which often goes unnoticed, is uh, what you shared about your ego, right? When you hired your EA and many times people or leaders stop themselves because they have a hunch or they have a sense of how others will perceive them. And what you shared is very powerful because you put your responsibility first and mm. then even opened up and say that I feel this way, what should I do? Or like you invited other people in and that's not easy. So I want to acknowledge you, but like for anybody who is listening, this is so important to not get lost in your thought patterns and then to put your responsibility first and then your preferences, your strengths, your weaknesses, all of that. Second, I, th I think that's very important to what you just shared. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and you're right, it's about transparency as well, being transparent with your team and being authentic and saying, look guys, I'm struggling with the idea of this, but I, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. And it, it's super important, but, and it's one of the most difficult things is striking the balance because you need to show and, and truthfully be very considerate, very open to what other people think about it. But you also need to be decisive enough that people have faith in you as a leader. So it's getting that balance of saying, I want to listen to everyone and I want to take on board all of your ideas and managing that with, but don't worry guys, this is the decision. This is what we're going to do. So it, it's a really fine one to, to, to get the balance on, but this is the, the challenge, right? It's a fun one. Yes. Yes. And I, I, I love that you are calling it a fun challenge uh, because this can often become uh, a very lonely journey for people and feel like a burden. And what you did when you invited your people in and when you are transparent is actually let's go of that burden. It uh, makes it easier for others to help you and also acknowledges that leadership is not a lonely journey. Yeah. Even though it feels lonely to a lot of people, but right by definition, it is not lonely. It cannot be lonely because you are yeah. working with uh, so many people. Yeah. And I think one of the things we're trying to do with Connected as well is getting, uh, in the same way that you are, leaders to talk to each other as well, because it's important. It's so great to be able to share those challenges. You said, share them with your team, share them with other peers. It's, it really is important. And I think I'm fortunate, we're fortunate, we're part of a, a generation which does uh, value that. Whereas mm -hmm. probably 30 years ago, if you were a leader, you couldn't even 
be seen to be second guessing anything. Yeah. So when I used to lead teams in organizations, one question which I always used to start a one-on-one meeting was, tell me something I do not know about you. I, I always found this question very valuable because even if a person is somebody whom I have known for many years, there is always hidden sides of that person. And this question allows that to come out. So can you tell our listeners something which most people do not know about you? I'm just going to say, I, I really like that. That's a really great technique. And I, I love the idea of really trying to get to know your people, even when you've known them for years, you're giving them that view. Yeah. Okay. Really interesting. So I, I spent the first seven years of my life between London and Amsterdam, which most people don't know. So yeah, we, we were spending half the week there, half the week here. And I think I've got a massive affinity still with the Dutch and love being there. And it's strange because I don't have the most memories from then, but whenever I go back, you know, I really feel a deep connection with the place. So yeah, that's something I very rarely speak about, but yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And is that seven years of your childhood or seven years yes. after you? Ah. Yeah, exactly. From when I was born yes. to about seven years old. Yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah, I have, I do have really some very basic, but fun memories of it. And it's interesting because you don't know how much you consume or are influenced by a culture at an early stage. And it's so hard to know, but whenever I go now and I, I really still feel that affinity with the place and can speak to the people and it's a really interesting one. There's the nature versus nurture idea. Yes. And, and, and I think the more I read about or study about uh, psychology and how we are shaped, like those first six or seven years of our lives shape us a lot, even when we don't realize it. Like yeah. even, even now I have been in Amsterdam for seven years. Every time I go back to India, there is something which changes and which is outside of my conscious control because there is a sense, there is a, sometimes there is a smell, sometimes there is a feeling, sometimes it's about the people, but there is something very different. And uh, I see that I think differently, I talk differently. Uh, and if I'm not aware, that can actually prove detrimental to what I am trying to achieve as a coach, as a leader. Uh, so being aware of those subtle influences from our very childhood and many times they can like, they can become our hot buttons. Yes. That's really interesting. It's is that what a few of my friends have started having children recently and they've been telling me about books that they're reading about how much that imprinting is all these things, which can just seem, but it must be such a challenge. I don't know if you've got kids. I, I don't have kids yet, but it, it must be such an interesting challenge of trying to manage that when you know how for, uh, formative those six, seven years are to try and get everything right. I think that would be very stressful. So I, I have a two and a half year old son and it's always on the top of my mind, especially given my knowledge of human behavior and the kind of uh, people I talk to. And so many of these conversations uh, involve sometimes going back to what happened at a very early point in their life and sometimes rewiring or like having them see the world differently. Especially if you have grown up in a, in a war zone or if you have grown up in extreme poverty, it can shape you as a person and as a leader which might not necessarily be to your advantage in the. It's fascinating. My, my mom grew up in communist Hungary and they escaped and she ended up in a refugee camp and all, you know, but then they were sent back. And then when they got sent back to Hungary, people had taken over their house. They could no longer with it. And it's fascinating. And as a kid, I didn't see it, but now I see so much how that's influenced down to it's such a yeah. deep rooted, especially when it's something so extreme, as you said, but yeah, totally. So I also think it's one of the reasons I'm such a hard worker is from where they've come from and it, mm. it transcends from the way that they brought me up and everything else. Yeah, it's really interesting. 
And one of the very recent discoveries that I had is that uh, trauma, especially if it is uh, very severe, can pass down generations genetically. And it can actually last till wow. three generations. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's there's a lot of studies on animals now, but uh, therapists and also psychologists are discovering that uh, trauma, unless and it, somebody has intervened, can actually stay on for three generations uh, hidden in your genes. Wow. And it can shape your behaviors. It can shape your... So the animal studies is that like you, you give an electric shock to somebody, to an animal, and their unborn children will be wary of those electric shocks. Like wow. They're unborn children. So that's the key. Crazy. Yeah. It's, if you buy into the theory of evolution, it makes total sense. It makes total yeah. sense. It would carry down like that. But wow, that's fascinating. That's so interesting. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Learned, I've learned something very new today. There you go. Yeah. I'm, I'm most glad. <laughs> so tell me, coming back to the present moment, what is it that you feel the most grateful for? I think everything, so much of life is luck. So much of life is luck that I'm very grateful that with Real Sport, we got the right thing at the right time. And I've been so grateful for so many opportunities. Although we didn't grow up with, with money, we grew up in a better position than 90% of the world, probably just by virtue of the fact we grew up in a country and in, in a city with serious infrastructure. So I think you, you've got to be grateful for everything. You know, it doesn't mean you don't, I don't believe in determinism. So I don't believe that we're following a path in any way. I think you've still got to work incredibly hard and all those things. The, the world is a, is a mystery, right? And if, if things are going your way, it's just because of luck in many ways and always grateful for that. So I think I have been really lucky in life in, in having opportunities and having opportunities to work hard. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that's a very important point that uh, there is so much more than our inputs which mm. play a role in the final output, right? Whether it's a success or failure. And then there's a lot which is outside of our control, right? So this, first of all, makes it easier for people to take risks. Mm -hmm. It also makes it easier when the desired outcome is not the one which you expect. Yeah. Absolutely. When you look at COVID, if you were a business that happened to be building something which worked for that time, it's pure luck. Or if you were a business that was flying, but you happen to be at events or something like that, that's just an example. Like I look at the story of cool, they were yeah. built, they're great, clearly a great founder, clearly great technology and all the rest of it. Right time, place, miraculous, this happens overnight. They were just ready at the right time. And now suddenly they're all billionaires, everything else. It just goes to show you never know what's going to happen. But that's why you should never get too high when you win and never get too low when you lose because the next game is around the corner and who knows what's going to happen. Yes. So coming back to, again, the same idea of balance, like, yeah. uh, and uh, some sense of uh, equanimity without having, experiencing the highs and lows. And I think experiencing some highs and lows makes it easier to experience the future highs and lows in a balanced state. Yeah, definitely. So when we were doing real sport, the last business, we were over in, in the US filming stuff, some stuff for the NBA, for some content for our platform, speaking to a, one of the, the players who was playing on the team called the, the Houston Rockets. And he was saying the only way they survive a season is 82 games. It's a really intense basketball season. It's exactly that. When they win, it's like, great, cool. That's fine. If they lose, it's like, okay, fine. On to the next. You've got to, you've got to try and balance, get that balance. Can you share about somebody who made a big influence on your leadership? And can you also share about what happened? Is, did they say something? Did they do something that shaped you into, into like the kind of person that you are? It's a really, it's a really good question. I think. 
for sure, obviously your family influenced you in a big way, your family influenced in a big way. I think one of the things I learned about leadership from maybe from my dad is you can be a very different person in the boardroom versus, and it's really important that you actually have a separation for multiple reasons. One, one of the main ones is things will happen in your personal life. Things will happen in your personal life. You cannot take that out in the boardroom. It, you, you really cannot because you're going to let emotions influence business and, and, and the two do not mix as we all know. So I think that's one of the things I learned is you need to be able to create that divide. And also I think if things are not going well in the boardroom, you don't want to necessarily take that home as well. So I think that's a really important part of leadership is being able to remove that emotion from judgment. But I think I'm, I'm still learning so much, still learning so much that I feel like my journey in a leadership position, my journey as a leader is so at the beginning that I still feel like every day I'm learning so much about what it means to, to be a leader, a good leader, that I don't think the defining moments come for me yet. Mm. Thank you for sharing that uh, important lesson about the space between who you are in different roles of your life. And then do not let those boundaries spill, especially not in a negative way. You can let it spill in a positive way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think one of the good ways to look at it is no matter what's going on in business, if you're flying and you've got a hundred employees and you're about to do a big fundraiser, you still got to do the dishes at home. <laughs> now you still got to help out around the house. If you want to have a happy home life, it's that separation of no matter what's going on that side, you're going to stay humble on the other as well and not let it influence yeah. you. And since you spoke about your journey and that you are in the early stages, can you share a little bit about where are you headed and what does a successful future look like to you? I think success is doing everything you can to reach your potential, whatever that means. That could be financial, it could be creative, it could be raising a family who are happy. Many different people have different views on that, but I think that achieve, you, you need to go for it, whatever your view on success is. And I don't want anyone to think that because capitalism says success means bank balance, it does not. I think whatever success means to you, you need to go for it in a big way. For me, I enjoy building. I really love to build things and I love to see how far I can take them. So this year we're launching in Europe. We've been going through UK, so we're launching in Europe, hopefully launching in the US next year. So. It's going to come with lots of new fun challenges again, but yeah, I just want to keep on building and see where we get to. I love that. I love that how you started with your definition and a lot of people are already living a definition which they have inherited from the culture or from their family. And I think such a, that is such a powerful lesson that uh, like while you can build things, you can also build your own definitions. You can build your own boundaries. You can build your own values. And then you can, and you can step up for them rather than without giving a thought of what are you living up to? So that's so, so valuable. I want to highlight that. Yeah, absolutely. For some people I know they've exited the commercial world because for them, success is living a happy, balanced life. So that means they want to go running 20 miles a day in the mountains, whatever it might be. And that's equally as successful because I think that's what success is. It's, it's identifying what you want and being real to that and being honest to that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So to, to wrap our interview up, is there any advice which you would give to somebody who has a big dream or who wants to create something, but they haven't tasted success or they haven't gotten around to the level that they want to be? Yeah. 
definitely is, is love, learn to love the journey mm. because the idea of, I think what you're going for will always change. And especially if you do start reaching success, your idea of, oh, actually, no, I thought that would be good. No, no, but this would be good. And you reach that, it moves further back. So you just got to love the journey because you'll, you'll always be on the journey. Yeah. So you, this is, this is another wisdom bomb, I think. So learn to love the journey. I think these three words, learn, love, and journey are so relevant to leadership. And many times we either forget about learning or we forget about that it's a journey or we forget to love the whole thing. So all three of them actually make the journey what it is. Yeah, totally. And I think you've got to be really honest with yourself. The second you stop loving the journey, you need to evaluate whether it's the journey you want to be on or if there's something else which will make you happy because there's no point doing it if you're not going to wake up every day being like, I love what I do. But you've got to make sure that you're happy. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Roy, for your time and your insights. Trevor, for anybody who is listening, where can they find out more about you and maybe connect with you? Yeah, just find me on LinkedIn, ROE. This is quite a rare name, so there's only a few of us on LinkedIn. Uh, and, and Samuel, I'm, I'm always happy to connect with as many people as possible and learn about what they're doing. Uh, and you can also go to connected.co. Thank you. Thank you once again for your time. And totally, I'm sure everybody who listens will love this conversation. Thanks so much, Sumit. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction. Not just for yourself, but also for those around you. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. I say what might be uncomfortable for me to say or for you to hear, to show you that all our dreams which have been on hold are within our grasp. If you like the sound of it, do not forget to leave a rating. I invite you to subscribe to my newsletter at deployyourself.com slash newsletter. You can also reach out on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook to share any other comment or feedback. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.